Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! What is up, everybody? I am the foghorn of a man known as Chase Wardman Reeves, and you are joining us on the Fizzle Show, where we talk about why some creative business ideas succeed and others fizzle out. Okay, because creating a business today, there's more opportunity for this than there than there has ever been in the history of the universe. And yet, there's also more competition. There's more noise. There's more tools and there's more capabilities and abilities to reach out and actually find people who want your thing. And yet, it's also because of that a challenge due to the the famous signal to noise quality in our lives as we deal with like you know i don't know have you ever been on youtube and just found yourself like oh no i just i just lost i lost so many hours because thumbnails on the side of my youtube videos i'm just yeah. like why i'm just like clipping away yes you know? <laughs> same thing you all those to- really cool bag videos well that, that's <laughs> keep going down this i'm talking more i think chase is talking more about like interviews between dick van dyke and some some like talk show host Pauly in 1973. <laughs> no, yeah, totally. Dick Cavett, like anything from like any 70s like interview thing where they're smoking cigarettes on stage. You're like, what? Yeah, you're like, what? <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> truth, truth be told, there are some amazing ones with um, who's the guy that made? Uh, I'm not remembering his name. Corbett, massive person who create who. Wrote and directed um, Rosebud, which is the, it's not the name of it, it's a Citizen Kane, which oh. is what, Orson Welles. Orson Welles, right? Orson Welles, like I just, anything with Orson Welles, I'm like, who is this guy? This guy is yeah. so ridiculous. People like that don't exist right they now. They don't exist. Swear. Dude, so sick. It's the kind of thing you could, like, that's the kind of places I go. I just lose, lose time to that. And guess what I could have been doing during that time of learning about Orson Welles? I could have been putting together, like, an email welcome series. Or Mm -hmm. I could have been putting together a product that was actually, like, going to be useful for someone. Okay, now here's the deal, you guys. Anybody can create a blog or a website. Anybody can create a YouTube channel. Anybody can create a podcast. What gets interesting is when we try to monetize this. When we're like, okay, so how do I actually compensate myself for the work that I'm doing here? What are the what are the results that I actually want to get from this? And one of them for me has always been just thought leadership or having an audience, uh, people listening to to me has just been its own reward in in a lot of ways. But that doesn't put gluten-free crackers on the table for my kid. Right. That doesn't pay my mortgage. That doesn't put gas in my tank so that we can drop our kids off at school or something like that. There's a real need to monetize. So today what we're talking about is that monetization stuff. And specifically, we're talking about products. Did you see like the words sort of Mm. the fog Mm. sort of moved away and it was like products. What is a product? How do we create them? How do we go about starting the process of building a product? What product should you make? Because let's be honest, the first idea you had, um, even though you're really uh, optimistic about it, the remember when like over time you learned why it was actually not that great of an idea and why other people didn't weren't going to go for it and i'm glad i didn't waste a bunch of time on that right yeah so this is the kind of conversation that we get into because you can absolutely build any number of products and any different kinds of products you can do a course you can do an email series that you charge for you can make a freaking like a, a supplement a pill like you can make a snack bar you can create a piece of software you can create a you know a, a kind of overall that that people just haven't seen in a long time you know yeah <laughs> overall maybe they go like all the way down to your wrists and ankles yeah like a i like call over, it like a coverall like a literal it's overall <laughs> it's over everything okay on the show like so today what we're going to talk to you about is how do we come up with ideas for products how do we tell what products we should get we should build and which ones we shouldn't how do we get a sniff test on what direction to head in and products, because if you've been following along on the Fizzle Show, we are at in the middle of this uh, this series talking about what we call the roadmap of creating a business. Okay, creating a business roadmap is uh, is, is what we've done inside of Fizzle that allows you to just step by step by step by step go from the beginning 
to the end of making an actual business. And so we're in the middle here. We just talked about audience. How do you think about your audience? How do you define your audience? We had an awesome conversation with Justin Jackson. I absolutely loved it. And now we're going to talk about product. Now, let me introduce you to the people on the show today. I have the inimitable Corbett Barr. Corbett Burr, the firmest entrepreneur. Say hi, Corbett. <laughs> oh, I've missed that so much. <laughs> we were doing it like crazy the other day. We were doing it like crazy. I was like, oh, I got an email from Corbett Burr, the famous entrepreneur. And Lisa's like, Corbett Burr, the entrepreneur. <laughs> Did you get an earmer from Corbett? <laughs> I got an earmer from Corbett. <laughs> um, and we also have Joe Kearns. Joe, say what's up. What is up? That's the what's up from Joe Kearns. And Jen, wow! Hi, Jen. Hi, Chase. What's that, up? Just in case people didn't put it together, her last name's Rao. R A O. Rao. 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 It's Rao, everybody. Her last name's Jen Rao. Rao. Yeah. Rao. I like Rao. with feisty. Feisty Jen Rao. So today we're talking about my sister's face. Well, the Wait. first time she heard you, Rayo, my name. Did she, like, was she mad at me? And she loved it. Oh, she loved it. Oh, that's terrific. Okay. I'm glad. I'm so. I'm. I'm always worried that I'm like just making people so 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 upset out there in the world, and they have no way of getting back to me. You know, and really just like giving me that feedback, which is by design. <laughs> but at the same time, I can feel it sort of karmically. Like I don't want to be doing that. Okay, so let's get into the matter at hand, Corbett. Like. We're talking about product. I did my little intro thing. We had a little pre-conversation. Take us away here. Where where do you think people should go? Let's assume. Uh, let let. How about do this? Tell people a little bit about just this section of the roadmap and 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 what they'll find there, maybe. And then let's um, give me like an in like a, a basic intro. So like, if I haven't heard anything about product stuff before, can you just give me sort of a set the table? on how to think about product? Yeah. So the, the way we define the roadmap really uh, is in three phases. And I'm telling you this to set up what product is and where it fits. The first phase of the roadmap is all about preparation, getting to know the people you're going to serve, setting up your business, all that kind of stuff. Foundational preparation stuff. The last phase is about growth. But in the middle, this is really the meat of the roadmap, the meat of what a business is in general. And that is, there are really two pillars to building a business. The first is the people that you're going to reach, the people that you're going to serve. And the second is the thing that they're going to buy, the thing that they're going to pay for. And in the middle part of our roadmap in phase two, we put these two things together. We spend time building an audience and then we spend time building something that they will pay for, a product, if you will. But product really can include a lot of things. It could include services. It could include advertising. There's all kinds of stuff that we can talk about here. I think mostly we're going to talk about actually building something for sale today. But in the middle part of that roadmap, in the second phase, you put these two things together and you see if your hypothesis about what your business is, that there is a group of people out there with some sort of a problem or need, that you can build a solution for in a way that they'll be willing to pay for. You put together the product and the audience together and you see if magic happens on the other side, if problems are solved and revenue is earned because of that. And uh, we use problems sometimes loosely. Problems could actually be, I need to be entertained, right? Mm. Uh, we use products loosely in that it could be a physical thing for sale or it could be a digital product or it could be uh, some sort of co more complicated third-party thing like affiliate you know, products or advertising or something. But at the end of the day, it is something that is solving a need, a desire, or a problem for a group of people. So some people can call, you could call this monetization. Uh, and I guess that's really the heart of what we're getting at today, which is how do we make money from this thing? Because we all have friends who are working away hard at building up an Instagram channel, right? Or a Pinterest page or a blog or a podcast or whatever. And you just got to wonder, where is it going? And if in the back of their mind, they're hoping that it's going to become a business one day, then 
the sooner you can start to understand whether or not you have a group of people who will be willing to pay for something, the less risk you're going to have that two or three years down the line, you're going to look back and realize that you made some mistakes Mm. because you built yourself an audience that at the end of the day wasn't willing to pay for something. Okay. So hold on. This is great. Let me, one of the things you said in there that this is like classic roadmap fizzle stuff is that your business is a hypothesis. Okay. First of all, that idea is, is really important and we ground you in it completely in the roadmap. So if that's a new idea for you, you need to get in the roadmap because that alone is going to change the way that you think about business, probably for the rest of your life. Right. And you like, you might forget it over time and need to be reminded again and again, but once you, if you can get that sense of my business is a hypothesis, that's specifically what Corbett was saying. These people want or need this solution, right? That is such a good, simple summary of what it's like to do independent business, right? To be a sort of sojourner, a wayfinder, doing your own business these days. So that's really big. And then we talked about. The real desire and result like that we're looking for behind this is, or at least in some part, is is about getting actual revenue. Re- revenue? Revenue. Revenue. Mon- monetization. Revenue. Reveries. Uh, monetizing and actually getting the revenue is, seems to be like, this is like, I've seen, like, like Corbett said, how many people do you know who are trying to build their YouTube channel or who have started a podcast or who are putting together the podcast or who, you know, created an ebook? seven years ago when we were all making ebooks, right? Um, and and then are they making actual any money from that now, right? This is a really big question for you if you want to support yourself doing independent business, not if they're making money, but how are you going to actually do it? Because that's how you're going to pay for the gas in your car to drop your kids off at school. That's how you're going to pay for the knife <laughs> you use to cut the crust off your kid's PB&J sandwich or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. That's how you're going to pay for even just the the really, really, really crappy, cheapest food you can possibly find, ramen profitability. Because from ramen profitable, meaning I can't afford very much in my life, but I am supporting myself with my own business. We call that ramen profitable. From there, you can grow. From there, you can grow, right? But not every business idea can actually make money is what, is what I, I'm hearing in what you're saying, Corbett, and what I think are the consequences of choosing to build a, a business idea that is potentially, you know, not as viable as other business ideas. So Corbett, what do you think the best route of, you know, I know you said that, that uh, you might put Jen on the spot here at some point. It sounded like there was something in your mind there. We, you've just recently launched Palapa. There's a lot of products we can talk about on this conversation right now. Um, one of the things I'd love to give people a sense of is just the consequences of putting a bunch of work into kind of a, a product that just, that doesn't end up working. Right. And, and maybe, uh, is there a way that we can try that we can kind of have these sniff tests on the front end of a product to see if it's worth putting a bunch of time and energy into, to actually make it work? Where do you, where do you think of going with that? Yeah. So I I think what you're getting at is this, this idea of product validation in a way, right. Or, or business idea validation. And that is, looking for evidence that it's worth spending your time on this thing. And it's great to do some of that up front. But like we've said for a long time, you're never really going to know until you have real people and you put something real in front of them. Because there are all sorts of specific things about you and your offering the people that you're serving that may not exactly fit whatever it is that you use as evidence for validation. So for example, one way to validate your product is just looking and seeing that there are other products out there that are like this and finding maybe some people that you think are underserved in that area. But still, validation is just a a part of forming your hypothesis, saying that I believe there are these people out there who have this problem and that I can solve it in a way that they will be willing to pay for. So validation up front, it's good, but it's not going to save your bacon at the end of the day. Really what needs to happen is um, 
what we have referred to in the past as a, an MVP, a minimum viable product, and getting something in front of real people sooner than later so that you can see if they will be willing to pay, and more importantly, so that you can get feedback from these people, because feedback is really, really essential to growing your business. Because what you're trying to do is not just validate your hypothesis to say, there are these people out there who are willing to pay for this solution to their problem that I've built. But also, if they're not willing to pay, if you launch your MVP or your initial product and they don't come beating down your door, then you're left with this bag of questions, right? And this is the hardest part. This bag of questions is, well, um, do these people not have that problem? Or did this product not fit their problem? Mm. Or did I not explain my product well enough? Or was the pricing too high? Or there's like a million different things, right? And so you have to get close to your customers early on so that you can start to understand exactly where you went wrong and whether or not you need to throw out the entire hypothesis or if you need to make tweaks and continue on. Mm. So this this gets into an area where I think a lot of people who are building businesses can't envision this far down the road, right? It's mm -hmm. it's a lot when you start a business just to think to yourself, oh boy, I, I'm gonna try to like build this thing and get it in front of people, right? Oh boy. Or I'm 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 oh just boy. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to to build a group of people, like an audience, and then I'll figure out something to sell to them. But it's hard to envision the point at which you have built something and put it in front of people. And then it didn't go exactly as planned. Mm. And the question is, what next? Right? Okay, so I have, a, I have a question on this. Hold on, Corbett. Yeah. I have a question. Do you know where you're going with this? Can you put a pin in that and come back sure. to it? Okay. Yeah. Because as you're talking, it's like, it's definitely spinning some wheels for me. A couple things that you said. Uh, I love this idea of we're looking for ad evidence, like, can this idea work? And yet we also need to know, because we're serious entrepreneurs, that they we're never going to know for sure beforehand if it's going to work or not, right? And so uh, we want to engine one, one common, common current uh, evolution in business is this idea of what we call an MVP, a minimum viable product, like the smallest amount of work possible to put a viable product out there so that what? we can start getting feedback on the idea. Now, feedback comes in a lot of different ways. Feedback in business comes in a lot of different ways. Feedback in creative work in, in any sort of thing you're doing can come in a lot of different ways. Feedback for me in my family comes in a lot of different ways. I get feedback <laughs> from my son a lot. I get feedback from my wife a lot. My, my openness to receiving that feedback is in large part a metric like 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 you can tell how good i am inside in my life based on how receptive i am to the feedback that i'm getting right or how much i'm just closing that off and hoping that it's not there right it's almost like a closing my ears and eyes and going la 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 no i'm a good person i'm not a jerk i'm not a jerk i'm not a jerk you know um yeah. so it's it's making me think of this idea of like of feedback of how essential feedback is to building a business. And, um, and I, like, like I normally do, I want to burn everything else down and just see what would, it, what would life be like if we just be, behaved or paid attention to feedback, right? What would it be like if we were really, really, really serious about feedback? So I want to open this up to the whole group, um, Jen and Joe, like, uh, like you guys as well. What would, Maybe, maybe if anybody has a story about like, you know, places that they've received feedback, I know I have several, but, um, but the, like, what would an entrepreneur's life look like on a daily basis? What would daily activities look like if they were taking seriously feedback, if they were looking for feedback or making things specifically to get and gather feedback from those things? Does anybody have any sort of sense on, or does that, does that open up any, anything for anyone? Yeah. I mean, I, for me personally, when it comes to feedback, I think first you have to change the foundational beliefs about what feedback is when it comes to business, mm. because so much of the time people think that feedback is almost just inevitable criticism of their idea. And if the idea is held so precious that, if anything, feedback is seen as a risk rather than just the, the absolute benefit that it is, people are going to be resistant to going out and collecting any feedback because that's scary. It's oh, what if I find out my idea isn't good? What if people don't want this? 
And to, your, to the thing we were talking about the whole time about hypotheses, if we quit holding our ideas so precious and we're committed more so to building a viable business around it, the path can remain very flexible. And getting feedback, I mean, we've talked about this time and time again. I don't think we've ever seen anybody go out and actually talk to customers and come back less inspired, even if they found out their idea, their original idea wasn't the right one. Because it feels great when you realize that nobody is going to talk to you who doesn't want you to win. They're not going to make time for you if they don't like you and they don't want you to help them solve their problem. Yeah. So I think it can actually be really inspiring when you do get out of your comfort zone. You say, okay, whether or not this validates my original idea or hypothesis, I'm going to learn what the truth is. So feedback, I don't think we need to look at it as... Um, that it's either going to validate or invalidate your idea and that's a good or bad thing. Mm. Your job as an entrepreneur is not just to do the work, it's to figure out what work needs to be done. And this is how you do it. You get out, you collect data. I think it's Steve Blank that says, there are no answers in the building or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you have to get out there to learn what work needs to be done. And unless you're just trying to create a job for yourself, the ultimate goal should be, to just constantly solve these hypotheses. Because as you solve one, another will come. I mean, it never stops. You're going mm. to grow your business only by solving the perpetual hamster wheel of new hypotheses that come up. And it's it's a series of hypotheses. It's not one, you crack the code, and then you just scale indefinitely. You know, they say another level, another devil. There's always new things to learn. There's new ways to become efficient. The market conditions change. New competition comes in. There's always something. So mm. I think if you can, if you get used to the fact that this is just a part of what will always be necessary in your business, then it becomes less intimidating. Yeah, I love that. That's really interesting. This idea is your job is to do the work and the feedback is where you find what work needs to be done, right? That's massive. And it also makes me think of when you were talking about changing our typical assumption about what feedback is. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about some of the research on marriages is marriages where the partners are actually, they create some space to criticize one another, where, where, uh, where for instance, a, a man who has uh, criticism of of his male partner or female partner has the the sort of almost like openness or the ability to to give that criticism and the the partner actually creates space for that and and like uh doesn't jump immediately to shame or to anger or but like accepts it as like some feedback, so to speak, this process they found actually creates more vitality in the relationship. Like it, it creates love. Ironically, you'd think criticism would, would, uh, would, you know, ostracize the partners from one another, put a deeper wedge between them. Yeah. We're never going to, going to see eye to eye because you're like this and I'm like that or whatever, seeing some criticism like that. But the opposite is true. It actually creates relationship and it remind that feels to me like getting feedback on business ideas and i don't mean like talking to someone and seeing what they what they think i'm i'm curious if anybody has some examples of what are ways that we get feedback in our businesses that aren't just like hearing people talk about things jen do you have anything come to mind for that <laughs> jen's like <"Ugh!" laughs> no not a I'm noodling on it. Sorry, I'm I'm not there yet, guys. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> but like, not. think about it. like, like what uh, what what are ways that that we know things that fizzle are are going better or worse? Like, where are the what are the metrics even that we pay attention to? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Sure. So engagement in our forums is something you know. Just whether it's up or down to me is something I'm always looking at to see you know, how well Fizzle's feeling right, week that's, by week. That's feedback. Right? Yeah. That's that's mm -hmm. feedback, yeah. right? The number of, of sales that you get this today versus yesterday, this mm -hmm. month versus last month. And this is where I, I think, the you know, Corbett mentioned this. It was built into what he was talking about before. But, you know, the ultimate validation of your idea and feedback of your idea will come from when somebody you don't know when you're not there is presented with like a web page or a tweet or a something like that, this opportunity, and then they land on your page and they actually decide to purchase your product or not. 
right? Them not deciding to purchase your product, the amount of traffic on to your site, and then the that compared to the amount of people who actually convert into buyers, that's also feedback. And there's so many places we can look for feedback at, and not all feedback is created equal, right? Corbett, where do you go with this, uh, with either this idea of feedback in our business? I, I'm looking, looking at it because I think I want to just get people a sense of like, there's so many interesting ways that you can get this feedback. There's so many places that you can start getting real world, actual feedback. Um, you know, I can even use the word criticism. If you'll, if you'll stomach that word, as Joe says, becoming less precious about the, the sort of, um, Less, it's like it's like with our business ideas, like we want to we want to protect them from the world the same way we would want to protect. Like I want to protect my little daughter from the world. She's just a magic, magic, magic being. But I have seen the results of people who have been too sheltered, and I don't want her to have to have that life either. So it's actually right. I am choosing to put her in places where there are there's risk of her getting into a tiff with another person at the, on the playground. There's risk of, of things not going swimmingly like all the time, but there's also this potential for like all sorts of fun stuff and right. for learning. And that, that, that's a great metaphor, I think, because um, we have all seen people who live in their own bubble, right. Mm. And who don't want to um, believe the signals that are coming you know, bouncing off of their bubble yeah. about who they are and 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 who they're being in the world. Yeah. And a lot of times that does come from maybe a sheltered childhood or something like that, where you're constantly told that you're the best, you're the best, and and there's nothing wrong with you, or mm. you don't have to work to participate in society or your community or whatever to be a, a helpful, useful, um, contributing person. Likewise with business, I think we've all known people who are more playing business than really earnestly trying to build something because there is a place where it feels sheltered and safe and fun. And a lot of us can get value just from maybe being at dinner parties and being able to say that you're an entrepreneur or that you're working on a business idea when in reality, you don't want to go through what you perceive is the pain of the hurdles and the criticism that it's going to take to go from playing business and using that as a business card that you can give people, strangers, and to to feel something important about yourself versus going through those trials and tribulations to get to the other side where your business is actually viable. So there is this bubble that people live in mm-hmm. where um, where you're playing business more than actually doing it. You mentioned um, feedback coming in different forms, and and that's dead on. I think there's there's qualitative and quantitative feedback, right? We've got all of the quantitative stuff. When you um, launch a product and put it out there, you're looking at your traffic, your conversions, your sales numbers, all those sorts of things. And that's really useful, important data. But a lot of times it's not enough to necessarily answer the questions, right? I didn't make any sales. Well, why didn't I make any sales? Well, let's yeah. look at the traffic and so on. Well, can you really tell from all of that exactly what's going on and why somebody didn't push the buy button or why somebody got hung up at this point or that point? And so that's where getting into you know more detailed, mm-hmm. specific feedback from people is, is so important. I, I loved hearing what Joe said about distinguishing between feedback and criticism because, man, you can get some serious critical feedback from people. I we just launched, you know, in the past couple of weeks here Palapa, which is a community platform that we've been working on for a long time. And I got some like straight up, you know, harsh criticism, feedback from people about little things, about design and certain features and so on. And I think uh my younger entrepreneur self might have said like, well, F that and yeah. I'm gonna ignore that, right? Uh, in this case, I just kind of let it roll off my back now. And instead, I actually reach out and dig in harder on those mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Those people who say, you know, I, I thought this looked cheap or whatever. I dig in and I say, oh, well, I would love to know what you mean by that. But also, I want to know something about that person because I need to know how to judge that feedback yeah. and how to interpret that feedback and whether or not it's valid feedback. So I want to know about this person, their background, what they actually do 
like in other products so I can get a sense for who they are and whether or not they're the kind of person that I perceive as being a potential customer. Oh, man, you are putting your finger on something that I think <laughs> is just so you're pulling into light something that I think is, is is like I think people I think some people have learned how to do exactly that, Corbin, and they don't know that that's what they're doing, right? That they're taking in feedback. I'm open to feedback. Why? Because I'm I'm like actually evaluating the the context of the feedback, which is to say who the feedback is coming from. Right. It's like this this ability to sort of sense spidey sense style, even without without going too deep on it. I feel like I've been doing this my whole life. Right. And and part of me is, has kept a lot of creative ideas precious and living in the bubble. And mm-hmm. another part of me has has been, you know, in large part because of so much of the of the work I was doing on the web was it's just all public. Right. And so, you know, you're putting it out to just who literally ever clicks the link, you know, and that's a fun <laughs> arena to be, I guess, performing in, in some ways. And what I found is that this is the same thing I got into in the, in, in the episode last week with, with Justin about audience, when I was talking about that Tim Ferriss, uh, drunk dial, part on like where he was getting feedback on his ideas and he was it was it's like it reminds me of that same thing corbett where it's like you're 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 looking at uh, for me i was looking at feedback in comments for example in my early writing i would see that that the feedback is there but i would i would also get a sense of who this person is because they often had a link back to their website or and on their website they had some social media links their website typically didn't have much on it at all right and then your social media and you're looking at it and you're getting a little bit of context for where this is coming from and i'm trying to sense what they actually you know wh- where my product this thing that i have built or this idea that i have or whatever was going to fit into their lives if they if they never said anything to me right and and it that just helps me complete the picture so this quantitative versus qualitative feedback thing i think is really big and then the sense that like i can take this is one of the things we do in that four-day revenant process which i again i have to continue to anybody out there who really wants to get it's like i want to get my life changed but i don't want to take ayahuasca and puke for eight hours cool First of all, the ayahuasca isn't puking for eight hours. It's normally only about three or four. <laughs> secondly, secondly, uh, there's a you can just go to the revenant process for four days, and it is like it's going to be challenging and it's going to be weird. But you're gonna like you're gonna come through. Just learning so much. The, the word feedback for me was like I learned what that word meant in that revenant process because we actually play games where it's like you get feedback on just yeah. what you're like. Right. And you just you give feedback to other people on what they're yeah. like and you don't know each yeah. other. You're just going like, this is what yeah. I this is what I get for this is like I experience you as this. Right. And so you get used to that water off a duck's back, but also listening. Right. Also yeah. listening because other people's words, other people's criticisms, they're not going to kill you. They actually don't. They don't kill you. You kill you with their words if you choose to. Right. So getting away from this preciousness of our ideas, letting our baby daughters, you know, actually experience the world, get out of the bubble, right? Getting our ideas out of the bubble, break the bubble into the world, which means we're open to this criticism, uh, feedback, distinguishing between criticism and feedback, which for me, I collapse the two because it's like some feedback just feels like criticism. I mean, some of the best feedback I ever got on any of my ideas were, was the harshest stuff. Cause actually behind it was someone who was like, dude, I really want to see you succeed. I didn't know that. When I first heard, I did not know that. They didn't say, hey, I really want to see you succeed. Here's some feedback, <laughs> right? It was just like it came off Corvette, like you were talking, like, man, that was just harsh. Like, And I have to go take a deep breath. Hold on. There's probably something valuable here. You know, what can I get from it? Now, this is all in the context of, of talking about products, right? Listener, have you noticed that we've been talking, we went, we're talking all this feedback, which is really about how do we validate? How do we validate a business idea? How do we validate if, how do we sniff this business idea or this product idea out to see if it's got some, some worth, if it's worth us putting, it's going to take energy to make it successful. Is it worth putting that energy in? Or would that energy be more valuable to me going somewhere else? That is the conundrum of entrepreneurship right there. Jen, you were, you were nodding over there. Well, the 
I was just nodding. I feel like you blew someone's mind with the idea, just back to feedback really quickly, the idea that, so, okay, so I have a lifelong struggle with taking everything really personally. I've done the whole four agreements. Like I'm there, I'm developing. I really think that like becoming an entrepreneur is like this radical form of therapy, but it's the idea Mm. also that it's not just, okay, now I'm an entrepreneur. I have to be open to everyone's criticisms. It's like, no, I'm actually going to be smart about it. And choose and make sure that there's something behind the person who is giving the criticism or feedback. I just have that blew my mind Mm. so much. Yeah. Because as Chase was saying, sometimes some of the harshest criticism or feedback that I got was the most valuable. I think on the other hand, sometimes that super harsh criticism is garbage. Yeah. And, and you have to distinguish between the two. You have to distinguish between this is someone who would never be a customer of mine. Mm -hmm. They're grumpy because something happened in their lives and Mm -hmm. I don't need to be listening to them, but you have to, you have to be willing to dig a little further to find out if this is worth it or not and, and whether or not this is important. Dude, that's the business right there. That's you. Mm-hmm. That's where that's where the entrepreneur, that's where taste lives. You remember that Ira Glass quote about taste? Mm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's where taste is. And you're you taste food. Okay. You have taste. There's some foods you like more than others. And if you can get into an actual uh it, it, like how many times have you has your spouse ever asked you? What do you want for dinner? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Because most nights I'm like, I don't fi- I don't care. I don't, I don't care, right? I'm just like, but I do want it to be good. I do want it to be good. I don't want to have to. What are you going to say, Corbin? Well, <laughs> you don't care, but yeah. she's asking because, because she knows that if she just makes whatever, you're going to complain about it later. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? I do. So you don't care, but you do. I do totally care. The truth is it takes energy to take that care and distill it into some into an actual vision into an actual like gr- like gettable vision like walkable step right um and by by and large most of the time i just want vietnamese food all the time i mean that's <laughs> <laughs> like vietnamese street food like from portland vietnamese street food from portland is what i want nine dollars no sales tax that's what i want every time delicious every time is that so hard to ask it's not that hard uh depending on where you live. So <laughs> I keep coming back in my mind, this, this metaphor of if you got a new job, you would constantly be trying to find out if you are doing your job mm. in a way that makes your boss happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody knows that's how you succeed, especially in the first several weeks. You, you are asking like, how should I do this? Uh, was this right? Could I have done this differently? Like you're asking, like you want to know, am I, am I fulfilling the duties that I'm here for? Yeah. And yet a lot of us with business, we just put something out there and then we kind of, we go, Oh, did they buy it? No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll go do something else and then put it out there and see (laughs) if they like it or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then we get fired. Yeah. And then we get fired and and it's exactly, it's exactly the same. And you know what the distinction is there that's so helpful is this goes back to the, uh, the e-myth. Remember that book, mm-hmm. you guys, that yeah. e-myth where he has you for your business, make the, the actual job description and like the family tree of all the employees that you would have in this business when it's a real business. Right. And, or, or, and which is really all the sort of the categories of work you have to be done, all the jobs to be done. And when you can actually write the job description for that role, then you can get, you can distance yourself from it. Ironically, this is directly related to that same concept of taste that we were talking about before. Because for myself as a creative and a performer, I always want to be magic, right? I want to be, I want there to be some magic in the thing. And the magic comes from me. Cause if the magic comes from me, then I, I don't know, then feeling, then, then existential dread goes away or something. I don't know, but guess what? It comes back. <laughs> Fudge. So the, the, the ability to make that distinction and to clear ourselves up and to actually find, okay, hold on. What is the job description? What is the job description of of this role or something the the role of monetizing my business i have a business monetization officer right that person's job 
is to successfully monetize my business's activities, right? Now, what? how much money makes that successful? I don't know. You, you will have to define that. Well, it'll, it'll, it'll determine what ways will we make the money? Well, that's what this person's job is, is figuring out those things, right? And when we can see life in that job description kind of way or business or our monetization stuff in that job description kind of way, it, I like the way that that cleans it up. That helps us to go, am I fulfilling the duty of this job description? You know, I think that's good, yeah. Corb. Yeah, when we when we we've talked about wearing different hats a lot of times, right? Uh, as entrepreneurs, but I don't think a lot of us actually imagine ourselves as a different person or a different role while we're wearing that hat, right? Yeah, we don't yeah. we don't put on the monetization hat and then spend you know a day or half a day or whatever and actually just sit in that role and and imagine from a distance without all the baggage and guilt and shame and all that stuff that comes with being an entrepreneur, right? Because mm. When we become an entrepreneur, we don't realize how difficult it is to do this. And if we, as Joe said earlier, allow our emotions and self-worth and all that kind of stuff to be too closely wrapped up in, is this thing succeeding? Then the less we succeed, the less likely it is that we're going to be able to dig ourselves out of that emotional hole, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think... um, you know, when we sit down and put on one of those hats, trying to be able to look at our business and our attempts at making this business successful from an objective outside third party kind of point of view um, can be revelatory. And so, you know, that's where sometimes I think we need to get out away from our desk. We need to go maybe have a session with other entrepreneurs where we can talk about what's going on, maybe take a trip, maybe have one of those magical afternoons where, with your spouse where you're both in the right mood and you're able to share stuff mm-hmm. that you've been afraid to share, yeah. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. All of those can be super valuable. I, I have on my calendar like this weekly standing thing that I call CEO time. Uh, and it doesn't happen every week. Sometimes I roll out of bed on Monday and I just get right to it. But those weeks where I look at it and I go, oh yeah, I'm supposed to spend the next two or three hours thinking more big picture, less about Corbett day to day. What am I doing in this business? but more as any person who would be running this business, what do they think of it and what are the right moves to be making next? Mm. That whole, that, that adage about working on your business instead of in your business. I think Mm -hmm. all of us need to be doing that. And so it's easy to take. I know that we we've spent like most of this episode talking about criticism and feedback, but really at the end of the day, that's what putting a product out there in the world is. And I think that's why, not only do we like to use the hypothesis metaphor, but we also like to use the scientist metaphor in business Mm -hmm. where a scientist who had a hypothesis about, well, I I believe that this algae is um, green because of environmental factors. When they go out and do the study to find out, you know, enough data to determine if the algae is green because of environmental factors versus biological factors or something else, they don't just ignore half of the data because it doesn't fit their hypothesis. Or if they did, then their their findings wouldn't be accepted in their in their peer-reviewed journals, right? Yeah. Because being a scientist is listening to all of the data and coming to conclusions. So as a business owner, if if you instead of thinking of your business as your baby and a reflection of who you are and your worth, your mm. self-worth and your value in the world, if you think of it as um, this is just a way for me to try to um, be useful and in return to get paid to do that. Mm. And it may be this business idea or some other business idea down the road. And so let's go find out if this is true or not. And mm. if it's not, then either I have to change, tweak, or eventually throw the whole thing out and start over. And there's no shame in that because all of us who are entrepreneurs for more than a few years will likely have some kind of complete reboot, pivot, whatever it is, because that's just part of the nature of things. And even if you have a success at some point, it's likely that in several years, that success will morph and change because conditions in the market change. Mm -hmm. And things change now so much more quickly because of technology, especially those of us who are building digital products and things that are online. We constantly have to be 
on the lookout for where is this trend going and and what do I need to be paying attention to? Yeah, I'm you liking know, this. Oh, go, Joe. What what opens us up to stay dynamic with that, I think, is being able to understand and differentiate problem solution fit from product market fit. And there are problems that exist that if you can develop a solution for it, that is creating value. So your ability to solve that problem for another person creates value. Now, the product which gets that solution into the market, the product is just the vehicle. That's the way that you're getting it out to the market. Yeah. That The product is not the value in and of itself. It's purely just the way that you're getting that solution into the it's hands the of the market. It's the container for the solution. That's it. And yeah. so too often people, I think, believe that their idea is the product and the product is the value, which mm -hmm. is just not the case. And especially in an ever-changing market like that, if you believe that my idea is precious, I, you know, somebody else could go out and steal my idea and then blah, blah, blah. No, that, that's, I mean, if your idea is that easily stolen and somebody else can replicate it and go make a business out of it, well, then guess what? You should be able to also, you know, I mean, like it's that good of an idea. But being very, I think, dynamic and flexible with the idea that first you have to make sure you're actually solving a real problem out there. And then you can get creative. You can, that, I mean, a lot of the disruption doesn't come from the fact that this problem hasn't been solved. The disruption comes in that you found a new vehicle or a new way yeah. of actually getting and, that solution. And sometimes it's literally vehicles involved. So just, just thinking through like an example of, of what you're talking about, there is a problem that people need a mode of transportation that gets them that last mile within a city that doesn't necessarily require a car but it's maybe a little bit too far to walk. And 20 years ago or something, the the guy who invented the Segway, Dean Common, identified this problem. And mm -hmm. he came up with this amazing contraption that was overpriced, that didn't have a way for people to use just as they needed. They had to like buy the thing and, and drop $3,000 and so on. And it was dorky and, and so on. So he identified a problem and had a solution to it, but that solution didn't end up being packaged in a way that was the product that people would buy. Mm -hmm. And so now we see people, some people are buying these smaller segues that are like 500 bucks that yeah. just uh, fit like between your knees kind of thing. And others now in cities, we see these scooters everywhere. And those scooters are being used like crazy in certain places here in Portland, they are, because I can pay five bucks and I can get the, you know, across town, the 10 blocks that I need to go, that it's a little bit too far to walk, uh, but I don't want to ride the bus or, or call an Uber or whatever. So a problem might exist and you may know that there's a solution to it, but you have to figure out what the right vehicle for that solution is. And I think mm. that's that, that product metaphor that you were yeah. getting at, right? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Okay, so all of this is around picking a product idea validating said product idea with real world validation in whatever ways we can get the real world. By the way, as we were talking about feedback, I'm like, yeah, if you walk barefoot in pine, you know, forests in, in like near Tahoe or up in the Northwest or something like that, or literally on any surface, the, the way that the ground feels is feedback. Okay. When we're building a business, the feedback that we get is like the ground we're walking on. It's like the real world that's out there. And that's how we can actually shape our products and our services over time to become successful, to work in that environment. So I know we've kind of like beat that horse to death in some ways, but I'm really glad that we got so deep on feedback and on separating, you know, our preciousness from our ability to actually receive feedback, maybe distinguishing between criticism and actual feedback, putting the context around, because you're the one who evaluates the feedback. That feedback doesn't mean anything. It, what, the only thing that it means is what you're going to do with it. Like Corbett was saying, when someone gives you feedback, like you have to contextualize that somehow and how you do that for you. Sometimes it'll be like, it'll just be an emotional internal sort of thing where you're forced to, to come to terms with some stuff inside yourself. Sometimes it'll be understanding a little bit more, asking some more questions of them to really get a sense of what can this actually mean for the future of this product? How can I actually make shifts? But certainly what's involved in all of this is, a, is an assumption that we actually haven't quite, we have stated, but never, but not necessarily quite as, 
maybe as as uh you know i don't know as literally as i want to say now like building this product is an iterative process okay iterative is in all caps okay you will make shifts and changes and pivots it will iterate over time and feedback is how you will navigate those iterations it's how you'll navigate those changes. And now you are the one who evaluates the feedback. Okay, so that's everything we've said up to now. So now let's talk about how do we think about, how do we either come up with product ideas or if we have a handful of product ideas, how do we decide actually which one to to put some energy in or which how do like like can we and then then the last 10 minutes here corbett in 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 these precious like eight minutes remaining on the show let's just dive into how to come up with and choose a product idea yeah but the thing is i want it That's to be successful i want it to work <laughs> okay 100 okay. of the time uh-huh okay <laughs> it works 100 percent of the time 50 percent of the time yeah. <laughs> exactly so what are the way i mean for 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 me, I, I I don't know what what do you guys what do you guys think of with this? I, I, like Jen, you're in the fizzle community a lot. Joe, you are as well. Where do you think do you think people have product ideas uh, already and they're wanting to evaluate between a few, or do you think they are actually wanting to come up with ideas? They're like, I know there's a product here, I just don't know how to come up with it. I mean, I, I, I'll let Jen hop in here as well, but I think the thing that I've noticed the most often is that people have a lot of product ideas, but they cannot clearly attach that to the, the problem in the market. And so they'll have, well, which of these ideas, which of these products should I start with to get this feedback? And I always kind of come back to the idea about, well, first tell me about the problem that it solves, and then we can design that around which product makes sense to start with. Because a lot of times what I think people overlook is the fact that the best first product is a service because it gets you the most feedback the quickest. It's the fastest route to revenue, which allows you a lot more flexibility. It helps you figure out what the top problems are that need to be solved and which of those you might be able to package up through, again, a different vehicle and scale up. So not to dodge the question here, but I think that there's actually a question that comes before that, which is, What's the underlying problem and what is the product or again, service that might be the most likely to get you the feedback you need, provide value and uh, essentially be something that you can put out there quicker rather than having to, well, I'm going to create version one of the course and put that out. Well, who told you they want a course? Yeah. You know, like what was the problem that that course is supposed to solve? And do you just have three people in your life right now that you can start with and decide if what you think is going to be in that course even actually solves a problem to begin with? Because what yeah, I, think, I think, go for it, Jen, go. I was just going to say that's one of the things that I've always loved so much about Fizzle is like we kind of burst the that bu- bubble as quickly as we can when people come in because it's like someone, and I was the exact same way years ago. You you join, you're excited and you want to build a course. You want to make money in your sleep. You want passive income. And the Fizzle way is there's so much more that comes before that. And I totally agree with Joe mm-hmm. about services. That's actually where I'm at, I'm at right now with Clear Life is getting way more attuned to doing one-on-one services and really working with more people. Uh-oh, Jen's internet connection went out. We actually lost her for the rest of the conversation. We'll miss you, Jen. Wow. Here is Corbett where he came in after that. That's the perfect example to me of describing what an MVP is because mm-hmm. a product, and this is this is true of, of anything, but a course takes so much longer to build the first time around than you expect that it will. Mm-hmm. There's just so much that you have to learn about shooting video and and you know and writing curriculum and so on that you're going to spend two or three or four months, probably the first time around. I think for me, the first time it was like six months to create my very first course quite many moons ago. And um, if instead I had just offered services on the same thing, you could short circuit that whole feedback process that we were talking about earlier. Because that's what you need to get to is, can I actually solve this problem for people? Is it valuable to them? And what do I need to change about my methods before I set this in concrete? Mm -hmm. Because a course is like, once you build it, you're not going to mm-hmm. be changing it all that much versus a service. You can kind of adapt as you go along. So a service, uh, meaning coaching or something like that is such a great example of a way to do an MVP 
uh, for something that will become a book or a course or something mm. that's more concrete later. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I like this, uh, this is where Steph's stuff is so brilliant, right? On these mm-hmm. group programs, right? Yeah. The, the group program is because what, what it, what it helps people to know is that there's a beginning and an end to this thing. It's like, Hey, we're doing a six week group program, right? And that sometimes can be hard. Like I have a website, workwithchase.com that like, uh, <laughs> I've just got a few products on there. One of them is, is like 99 bucks right now. You can just book a call with me. I don't want, I don't want to coach you. I just want to like, like, let's just talk through whatever you're doing and I'll be coaching you. But like, you don't have to be in some like long contract with me or something like that, but maybe that'll develop from there. And then there's another one where, <laughs> where it's like, I would, I would love if, if like there's a button there. You, you like pay the 99 bucks and you click a button and then all of a sudden Chase's phone rings. And you're like, all right, wrong with Chase. You're on with what, Chase. Can I, what can I do with you? Like right away. Like I literally wasn't doing anything. So what do you got going on? But, uh, but then the other thing is, is actually finding a, a, the, the other thing I'm trying this out where it's like, you can come to my rooftop uh, in ocean beach and we can just spend the afternoon together. We're going to just, we're going to have two and a half hours of just like, let's talk about your life. Let's figure out what your vision is. And this like overlooking this massive sprawl of the coast of San Diego. It's just gorgeous. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping people end up taking it just for the sake of, of like the actual result of it. Right. What is the actual result that they're going to get? What is the actual result that we get from these products is the thing that I think is I'm hearing when in what you're saying, Joe, and like, what's the problem that this solves? Right. To me, it's like, what's the transformation you actually want them want to give to people? Right. From what current reality to what like better situation and then like I don't mind people one of the challenge one of the tricks that I use really quickly is like what's a bridge product like what's a good bridge mm-hmm. product right now right yep. what's a like a, which means it's like you're probably combining two different things like so for me I'm doing product reviews but I'm also doing coaching um and I'm also doing like business like advice and 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 stuff like that. So a product would be a bridge product would be something that combines two of those things and and is like a very very small easy thing to do that then I can I can put out into the world, right? Which could be a, a webinar, right? Could be just like an uh, an uh, like an e-training series <laughs> if I was marketing to boomers. E-learning. <laughs> but, but finding those small products that are iterative, that are not the, the final thing, they're not like the end-all and be-all, they're really, really a crappy first draft that that every, you know, that Anne Lamott book on Bird by Bird about writing, which is so good about the creative process, um, she's like, everything starts with a, you know, a crappy first draft. She doesn't use the word crap, but I don't want to put a bleep in there. So that's where we <laughs> a are. Junk, a junk, a junkie first a draft. A junkie first draft. That's where actual books start, right? That's literally actually where it starts. So, um, I think of those bridge products and, and finding something that is actually small. And again, it's like, imagine you're hiring someone to do this job for you. Uh, write the job description, and then you have to decide if you're doing a good job at that job description or not. So, in closing here, because we're out of time, luckily we don't we're not out of resources on creating a product. That's what the Fizzle roadmap is. That's what the Fizzle community is. That's what the you know coaching calls every week inside of Fizzle are about on the Fizzle Friday calls. Um, in in I guess in in closing here. I don't know. Do you guys have any, anybody? If you have something, something to close us with, Corbett and and Joe, if you do you have any like final final remarks here, Corb? Yeah, just um, to repeat ourselves on episode three hundred and twenty nine of the Fizzle Show. I'm sure we've said this before, but an entrepreneur is not some genius inventor who locks him or herself away in the basement for years only to come out with this magic thing that they bestow upon the world. An entrepreneur is someone who tries to be useful to other people. And in order to convey that usefulness, you have to come up with a product and put it in front of people. And that process of being useful and packaging it in a way that people will pay for is an iterative one. It's not a one-shot deal, and it doesn't define who you are and what your worth is 
as an entrepreneur. It just defines whether or not this one particular chance that you took was successful or not. And so um, don't hold your ideas so preciously and listen intently to what people have to say when you put something in front of them. Yeah. Joe, what do you think? I think that this stage more than most is going to stir up a lot of emotional baggage for people. And so being prepared right off the bat for that and recognizing that because everything we've talked about is a matter of iteration, it's testing, it's hypothesizing. Success in this stage is not an if, it's a when. This is going to be a battle of attrition. And if you stick with it and you follow the systems and you keep testing things, eventually you'll find something that works. But your ability to stick with it and what it feels like in this stage to keep putting yourself out there, to keep testing new things, to talking to people, to getting the feedback, the criticism, all of that, pay close attention to what that stirs up in you, the types of thinking patterns you go into. Because like when we talk about this all the time, if you go into entrepreneurship and all that you end up with is a business, you probably did it wrong. There's a lot of personal development that can come from this. This is a great stage, I think, for identifying some of those things in yourself, whether it's insecurities, whether it is different personality characteristics that are over or underutilized. You will learn a lot, but following a system, paying close attention to that, stepping outside of your comfort zone, because that's where everything worth having is, mm. is outside your comfort zone. Then again, don't worry about will it happen? It's when will it happen? You just got to stick with it long enough. Yeah. Love it. I love this idea of entrepreneurship as, as you know, personal development. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's actually like you could come, I mean, man, I've done a lot of yoga and meditation and, and, you know, magical substances and, and very, very few things besides the yoga and the meditation have been as productive for me as, uh, as just building businesses. Right. And you just, you do, you come up and, and you face a lot of yourself in that, mm -hmm. especially when you're guided through it. When I was just by myself writing business ideas in my notebook, <laughs> I was not doing <laughs> any meaningful personal work. Right. So, uh, dear listener, that is where we've grounded you into, where we've placed your roots in the conversation around product. Now, some of you are like, well, I, I was more expecting something like the five P's of personal product creation, you know, <laughs> um, people. Um, uh, 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 <laughs> I gotta get something. There's gotta be. Anyways, I'm gonna stop there. Not, no, I'm not gonna get there. For some reason, I can't get anything but a bad word. <laughs> so that's just where I am. Um, but this is this. One day, you hopefully, hopefully, you realize now, and maybe you, if you don't, you will at some point that like actually, this is the conversation of building a. This is what it's really like building a product. Like you, this is this is the thing that if I had my druthers, I would have a very fancy course with all of these worksheets and all the stuff that I would sell on this topic for like, you know, like fifty bucks, forty nine dollars, or something like that. And then I would sell this conversation for four hundred ninety nine dollars because this is what the real this is the real business like everything else all the five p's of personal product creation can totally be useful for you at any given moment in time but this will be useful for forever because feedback validation when you've made your first product you're going to not want to come back to this stage right do you understand like you're and you were going to need to because one product does not a life make most of the time for us indie business people though for a lot of others there are not a lot but for some a small subset one product is like it you know marie forleo could retire on just b school alone she'll just keep that going for the rest of her days right um so we're wishing you luck in your product creation your your ideation your figuring out the strategy of of how you're gonna do your thing in the world and and uh we hope that you open up your uh, senses a bit to some of the feedback and some of the resources in the world that are that are giving you feedback on how you can change this business idea to make it more successful how you can iterate and pivot to to create a more successful fit between your solution and their problem Again, you can find the show notes for this episode at fizzleshow.co slash 329. That's fizzleshow.co slash 329. And you can start the Fizzle Roadmap right now, and it will guide you through every step of building your business. You get five weeks for free as a Fizzle Show listener. You can get that at fizzle.co slash 
try five, T-R-Y five. Just let's try five weeks of fizzle, see if we like it. The whole thing with online training, not ours alone, with every online training is can you start it and then can keep yourself doing it, right? Because no matter how much fun and, and engaging we make our courses and our conversations inside of fizzle, you're still going to get... You're gonna, it's going to bring up some stuff that you'd rather not want to bring up and you're going to kind of resist it. That's just what happens to a lot of us. Or we just it just fizzles out a little bit. So to keep that flame like lit up and to actually be heading in that direction over time is the work if you want to build a successful business. It is, like Joe says, kind of like a war of attrition. <laughs> and you're, you're starving your... Uh, you're starving your resistance <laughs> or something like that, you know, as Stephen Pressfield would say. Thanks for listening. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in, y'all. We'll talk to you next week on The Fizzle Show. Bye-bye.